0: Hi, I'm Erwin McManus, and I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer, and fuller way. Uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel and we'll see you there. So this is week two as we work our way through the last arrow and for those of you who have not yet um, stepped into a book club or into a crew, let me just encourage you to take time during the week to process the material, to let it get inside of you. I, I, I took extra care to make sure the chapters were small and uh, that you could consume them. They're more like appetizers than buffet meals, and you know they keep telling us we have a society that's reading less and less, but I, I, I actually um, don't see that happening all the time. I think that we're more selective in what we're reading. And so I, I want you to take some time and invest in your own life, in your own development. Not, not for a selfish reason, but because I'm, I know that the more life there is in you, the more life you have to give to others. So just take some time and do this with people. Do this with others. Last night at home, we had an unusual... You ever wonder what a McManus uh, Saturday night is like? And uh, well, last night was an unusual McManus Saturday night. Aaron was over and Mariah was over and we're sitting in the living room and... We have a three hour, two hour conversation about the book of Revelation. <laughs> and uh yeah, that's just you know that's just like you know a light word conversation. That's that's just you know what we do. We just talk about you know the the beasts and you know the dragons and the, the multiple heads and and and, and I, I was just tapping out, going, I don't know, ask your mom. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was, that was harder than any conversation you ever have with your kids about sex. And I'm uh, going, ask your mom. I don't know, you're not old enough to have this conversation yet. I'm not old enough to have it either. And it was so, so good, so much fun. And, uh, and it was just a great reminder to me that, that maybe the one reason that book ends the Bible is to remind us how much we do not know. How much remains in the mystery, in the uncertainty, in the wonder of life? Sometimes I think we overestimate our own genius and our own intelligence and our own knowing. And every once in a while, it's just good to step back and go, wow, there's so many things that are out of my control. So many things I do not know. So many questions yet unanswered. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't actually dive into the questions that there are answers to. Because there are things in life that we can grab a hold of, things that we can actually know, things we can step into in our lives. So when we dive into this chapter, save nothing for the next life. This chapter is the, the breakdown of the subtitle of the book, which, by the way, was incredibly controversial in my own home. I, I have so many great conversations with my wife. And I don't know if you're married, but it's so great to be married to someone who sees the world completely differently than you are. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're married to someone who sees it just like you, I don't know what you talk about. You're just like, uh-huh. <laughs> not in our house. They're not in our house. We, we're, if we had logistical names, she would be east and I would be west. She would be south, I'd be north. we just come from such different vantage points. And, and when I told her the subtitle, Save Nothing for the Next Life, she said, it sounds Buddhist. <laughs> and then she goes, well, I think you're Buddhist anyway. I, I, I don't know how my wife would say that to me, but she did. And, and, and she knows I'm all about Jesus, but every once in a while, she just um, has to throw that in there. And, and, and when she gave me her response to the subtitle, I knew that it had to be the subtitle of the book. Whether we are Christian or Buddhist or Muslim or Hindu or atheist or agnostic, I think most of us actually act as if we have a next life in this world to make up for the things we left undone. I grew up in Miami when I came over from El Salvador, and my stepdad was a golfer, and so he always take us to play what now is known as putt-putt. But when I was a kid, it was called goonie golf. And every Sunday night, we never went to church, but every Sunday we went and played putt putt. That was our church. Golf was our religion, and we would go every Sunday night and play, and we would compete. Whoever lost had to buy everybody else banana splits, and it was just me, my brother, and my dad. And I was the youngest, and and so I I I look back and realize I was probably the worst, and 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 that's because I never won. But, but sometimes I would win. My numbers would come out lower than my brother's, and it would frustrate him. Because, you see, my, my dad, my stepdad would give me do-overs. You ever get that one? You know, I'm the kid that would hit the, the ball, and it would bounce over the wall and go to the next course, and I have to chase it down, and, and I would just give a look of, can I try that again? And I knew it was against the rules, but he'd always give me a do-over. But whenever my brother wanted a do-over, he goes, No. I love that. <laughs> I love an unjust world where I have an advantage. How about you? <laughs> and I learned the, the the mindset of the do-over that you get to try something over again when you've messed up the first time. And you might carry that on in life, but very quickly you realize that there are a few places in the world where the do over actually works. It doesn't really work in dating. You mess up. You don't usually get a do-over. You don't, can we have a do-over? She goes, no. You don't you usually get a do-over at work. You don't show up. You, don't, you can't go to your boss and go, hey, can I get a do-over? You go, yeah, no, you can, you can do-over somewhere else, over there. See, the, the reality is that and the things that matter the most, we, we don't really get do-overs, do we? Now we can learn from our failures, we can learn from our mistakes, we can learn from those moments we wish more than anything in the world we could get a do-over. And I I talk to so many parents who have said to me, mostly fathers, oh, if I could just do it all over again, I would be different, I'd be present, I would be there with my kids. I, I, I meet so many people who are on the other side of divorce and said, oh, if I could do it over again, I would do it differently. I've met so many people whose lives have fallen apart, whose lives are, are, are a shipwreck of bad decisions, who have said to me, oh, if I could just do it over again, I would do it differently. But here's the problem. You don't get to do it over again. And I, I, I said this in my own heart, even at a, at, an, at a young age. Because maybe I had the good fortune of meeting a lot of people who wish they had done it differently. I didn't meet a lot of people who were really excited about the way they did it. I almost never met anyone who said, got it right. Wouldn't that be amazing? Got it right. I, I, I got this marriage thing right. I got this parenting thing right. I got this this career thing right, I got this purpose thing right, I got this life thing right, I got these, this relationship right, I, I, I got this thing right, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to just have conversations with people who can look back on their lives and say, you know, I got it right. I didn't do it perfectly. I have a, a lot of mistakes, a lot of things that would change, but but I got it right. See, I, I think we've just accepted the fact that the course Of the human experience is, I wish, I wish I could do it again. If I could just get a do over, I could get it right. But I kept, I just kept thinking to myself, if they only saw it afterwards, would they actually do it differently if they could do it again? See, because, well, whatever mindset. Whatever value system, whatever was inside of you, the material from which your life is created, if it created a life you wish you could do over again, then how in the world would you ever do it differently if you went back as the same person, even with new experiences and insights, unless there was something that changed inside of you? So here's the tragedy. If you got to do it over and over and over and over and over again and you long for a do-over, you would get it wrong every time unless something changes. And it's not usually that we make devastating decisions. And that's the subtlety of losing your life, isn't it? The subtlety of regret. It's that it rarely is born in a catastrophic moment, regret is born in those incremental moments where you just made a decision that no one noticed, it was just a degree off from the person you should have been, from the life you wanted to live. So here's the tricky part. life of regret does not come because you blew up your life. It comes because you never made the choices necessary to awaken your soul. How do you save nothing for the next life? How do you make sure that that wherever your life takes you, wherever you are right now, whatever has happened in the past, that you, you take Every moment from this moment forward ensuring that you leave nothing undone. I want to go back to a passage where Paul is writing in Philippians chapter 3 beginning in verse 7. And I hope, against hope, that I can convince you to save nothing for the next life. Verse 7. But whatever... I want to know Christ, yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Here in this particular place, Paul begins just before we were reading, describing his own life before he came into this life changing encounter with Jesus. He actually begins by sort of giving his resume. He says, You know, I was a Hebrew Hebrew, I studied under Gamaliel, I am the guy. Because if anyone could have found meaning and purpose and significance in life without Jesus, Paul is saying, it was me. He actually, if you've ever read Paul, does not struggle with ego. Paul is not a guy going, man, I just didn't have any talent. You know, I wasn't really endowed with a lot of abilities. I just don't have a lot of intellect. The only time Paul says something like that is pure sarcasm. <laughs> Paul has a pretty good sense of self. Paul has a pretty good sense that that he was created with some significant abilities, capacities in his life. And he is a guy with intense convictions. And so he lays out this resume and he says, look, if anyone could have found a reason to live in this life without Jesus in their life, Paul says, it was me, but it wasn't me. It's almost as if Paul was living his life with such intention, but it was completely the wrong intention. And so then Paul has this radicalizing moment where his life is turned upside down and he's no longer driven by hate. But now he is driven by love. And so then here's a summary. He says, but whatever, verse 7, were gains to me... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, here's the challenging thing. See, our theme is to save nothing for the next life. But here, to me, is almost a paradox. The one thing that will steal your life from you is this life. Paul says, I had everything that this life had to offer. I had everything a person could ever want. I had gained everything a human being could possibly gain, and I found myself empty. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I wonder how many of us have already stepped into that that dilemma of the soul where the more you seem to get in this life, the more you seem to be empty in your soul. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to learn from someone else's experience, right? No one wants to hear a rich person say how wealth is not fulfilling. (laughs) No one wants to hear from a person who's already succeeded, don't pursue success, it's empty. You're like, yeah, right. I see how it slowed you down. And and what's going on here is Paul is actually the guy saying, I had all of that. I had everything that was supposed to be the source of life. And I found myself dead. And so he wasn't saving anything for the next life. He was taking everything in this life. And and then he says, but but there was a shift in my mindset. There was a shift in my view of reality Whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. He goes, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And, And here's the interesting thing. Paul is describing losing everything, and we're talking about gaining everything. See, how do you make sure you don't save anything for the next life? You don't let the things in this life to steal your life from you. I mean, that's the dilemma, is that the things in this life are beautiful and wonderful, and they're gifts from God to us. There's nothing that was created that isn't good. But the crisis is when we actually turn our affections to everything that is good and replace the God who created everything that is good. And we leave no room for him in our lives. Paul says, you know, I've discovered, I've considered everything a loss. And in fact, it's, 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 it's a contrast for the all-surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. He said, I know this is going to be hard for you because, because when you don't know God, when you haven't stepped into the wonder of who Jesus is, then what you've got is the best you know. And, and, and it's kind of hard to believe the best you know isn't the best there is. But there is better than we know. And here's the dilemma. Paul is saying, look, I thought I had everything this world had to offer. I thought I had the best the best. But I tried to ignore that little voice inside of my soul. But I, I discovered the only way to save nothing for the next life is to want him most of all. And here's where it starts. And that's why it's so difficult, it's so challenging, because we want God to help us get the things in this life that we believe will fulfill us. And God keeps trying to change our thinking. No, I I created all those things for you, but they were not to be a replacement for me. And if if you take all these things I've created for you and turn them into a replacement for me, you will find yourself empty and they will not even enrich your life and fulfill what they're supposed to fulfill in you. See, marriage was God's idea. God's not up and going, wow, he loves her too much. You're getting between me and you. No one thinks she loves him too much. I need to be her primary man. God is not jealous of human relationships. But I can tell you that your husband will never be enough. Your wife will never be enough if you keep trying to expect them to be what God alone can be for you. I think a lot of us are putting unfair expectations on our spouses because we keep trying to get them. We try and keep trying to force them. We keep expecting them to fill the emptiness in our souls that only God can fill. Some of you have a dating dilemma. Your dating dilemma as you keep expecting him to be what only Jesus can be to you. You keep expecting her to be what only Jesus can be to you. See, some of you have a career dilemma. You keep thinking your career is gonna fulfill the space that only Jesus can fill. And so you keep thinking, I'm in the wrong career. You're not in the wrong career, you're in the wrong pursuit. You have to want him most. Wow. And I, even as I was processing this thing, ways, that fair to say to everyone else? You see, that, that's where I've come to in my own life. That every time I do not want him most, let me just be straight up, there are times, I do not want him most. How about you? But every time I do not want him most, I begin to lose everything that I love then I lose my love for everything. It leaves me empty. I cannot explain it. When I'm in love with Jesus, food just tastes better. <laughs> See, I think a lot of us had this monastic view of a relationship with God. Oh, if I fall in love with Jesus, I never need food. Wouldn't that be sweet? <sighs> no, it wouldn't. See, I, I think when you're in love with Jesus you learn to appreciate all the beauty and wonder and pleasure of life. Because that pleasure is no longer what you're looking for to meet the deepest longing of your soul. So now you can enjoy it for what it is, not what it is not. And Paul, Paul uses here two words for knowing. He says, I consider everything in a loss for the all surpassing value of knowing Jesus. He said, I consider everything garbage, I consider everything dung. It's all sewage in comparison to knowing Jesus. And you hear that word just means just to know Him intellectually in verse 8. But in verse 10, he says, I want to know Him. That word is dealing with intimacy, the deepest contact of the soul, the imagery of becoming one. And Paul says, just to know who Jesus was was enough, but to know him intimately changes everything. If you want to live a life where you save nothing for the next life, don't let the things in this life steal your life from you. The only way you can live your life where you're saving nothing for the next life is to get your love in order and to want him most of all. And until your life is aligned properly, it doesn't matter if you're a dentist or a doctor, a teacher, an architect, an actor, a director, a writer. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. It is what occupies your heart that matters. You have to want him most to live a life where you save nothing for the next life. He goes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Isn't it odd to want to become like him in his death? And so somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. Then he goes on and he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, this is a little confusing because he's saying we need to take hold of that which Jesus took hold of us for. And he's actually telling us, look, if we want to live our lives where we live without regret, where we don't save anything for the next life, we need to make sure that, that, that we want him more than anything. You have to want him most, but you have to want his life for you. He's saying, look, you need to get a hold of the life that he took hold of for you. Now, I know this sounds crazy. It may not connect yet, but when Jesus died on the cross, when he rose from the dead, his death actually took a hold of the life you're supposed to live. He took hold of you. And he's holding that life for you. You ever put something on hold? I have a really awesome jacket that... Aaron bought for me a few years ago. Designed by an amazing human being named Jerry Lorenzo. Brand called Fear of God. Product placement. And Aaron bought me this jacket, but he told me the story. He said he went to the store and it was on hold for someone else. Was it Christmas? And It was on hold for someone else. I don't know who that is. You might be here. (laughs) But it was on hold for someone else. And Aaron decided that... He was going to take hold of it for me. So he went to the manager whatever, had a conversation, and convinced the manager that that jacket was meant for me. And the manager said, you know, that guy's probably not coming back anyway. There's somebody out there right now who lost his fear of God. (laughs) Because somebody wanted it more. And it wasn't even me. I am the recipient of it because someone else went and took hold of it. Jesus took hold of the life you were created to live, and He's holding it for you. It is on hold, and He's not going to give it to you when you don't want it. Have you ever been given a gift you didn't really like? A gift you didn't want? Do you have that gift that you've regifted? Probably gave it to me. You know what I've discovered? Whenever you give someone something they don't want, its value is irrelevant. Jesus is holding on to your life, but until you want it, until you value it, until you want it more than anything in this life, there's no point in giving it to you because you'll just give it away. You'll just re-gift it. You won't want that life. You'll think that it's an imposition of your life. See, the problem is until you understand that what you have to want more than anything in the world is the life that Jesus has taken a hold of for you, you're just going to re-gift it. You're going to give it away. You're going to devalue it. You're going to demean it. You're going I don't want that life. You're going to see the life that Jesus created you to have as an imposition on your life. God, can you get that out of my way so I can live the life I want? Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took a hold of me. So he grabbed onto you so that you might grab onto life. But you got to grab. You have to want what he wants for you. You have to want the life he died for you to have. There's some of you, you've, you've crossed that line of faith. You have trusted your life to Jesus, but you've not trusted that He is his life for you is the life you actually want right now. See, I think a lot of us feel like Jesus is an expert on the afterlife. He's just a novice on the before life. We we get it. There's no one better than Jesus in afterlife living. Right? That's the upgrade, that's the timeshare. You want to buy into Jesus after death, because after all, who else is building houses there? Nobody's building over there except for Jesus instead I'm building a mansion, he's the only one doing it, so you gotta buy in. But I think a lot of us think that Jesus' real estate is in the afterlife, but Jesus doesn't have a real estate license in the before death. So we're trying to build our own lives before death and then trusting Jesus to build a life after death. And does that, can, can you just see the insanity of that? If Jesus is not trustworthy and worthy of building your life in this life, he is certainly not trustworthy of your life after death. Don't give Jesus the change of time. (laughs) Because if you don't trust him with the change of time, you are not trusting him with the wealth of eternity. If you don't trust Jesus with the 70, 80, 90 years you get on this planet, what in the world makes you think you're actually trusting him for an eternity? You can know who's building your afterlife by who's building your life. Yeah, just let that sink right in because I didn't know I was going to say that and it caught me by surprise too so just let that (laughs) go deep for a minute. Then he goes on to say in verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it but one thing I do this is how you save nothing for the next life. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Do you feel that intensity and straining toward what is ahead? Some of us have never pulled a spiritual muscle in our life. It was, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward word in Christ Jesus All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. But here it is, verse 16. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. (sighs) Let us live up to what we have already attained. See, if you're going to save nothing for the next life, You need to understand how this life plays out. You have to fight for what is yours. Now, I know it feels like a contradiction, but listen to what he's saying. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. If I've already attained it, why do I have to press on for it? Why do I have to strain for it? Why why do I have to fight for it? Why do I have to work for it? It's already yours but you're not going to realize what has already been given you until you want it with every fiber of your being. It's almost as if God has placed it as a deep deposit inside of your soul. See, a lot of us think that that the life God has for us is out there somewhere. I feel like I should be singing a Disney song now. (laughs) But it's not out there somewhere. It's in here somewhere. And when you've opened up your life to the creator of the universe, when you've trusted your life to Jesus, he has deposited life at the depth of your soul. But then he says, so let us live up to what we have already obtained. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I have to fight for this. There's something really powerful about the human dynamic. In fact, one of the things that was highlighted last night, Mariah said, she said, I I can't imagine. She goes, there has to be purpose in eternity. There has to be purpose in heaven. There has to be intention. There has to be a reason to live. She was really, I, I could tell she was anxious. She goes, eternity can't have less meaning than I long for in this life. She said, I, I, I get up every day, and I, I'm determined. I have to get things done. I have to do something meaningful. Let me tell you, very few people are as driven as Mariah McManus. Goss. us <laughs> oh, forget that. The addendum. <laughs> that marriage thing. Husband. Love him. <laughs> In the Latin world, we put the family name after it's like, it should be Mariah Goss McManus. I'm just saying. <laughs> and I could, I could feel her anxiety. She said, there has to be more intention, more meaning, more purpose, more reason to live. I can't just exist. She was terrified at the idea of existing forever without something to do. I, I, I don't get it. How some people actually think that heaven is a place where you finally don't have a reason to exist. That would not be heaven. That would be hell. (laughs) And Paul says, "I, I am driven heavenward. I have a calling from eternity. Your calling that gives you your highest purpose, your highest meaning, your highest intention is not born inside of time. It is born from eternity. So meaning and purpose and significance and intention doesn't come out of here and does not exist there. It comes out of there and it comes and intrudes on our comfort here. It passes for this one thing I live, that I may know Christ, that I may know the Jesus who stepped into human history, And I may know the God who took on flesh and blood and walked among us. And lived a sinless beautiful life. That I may know the one who was crucified for me. The one who sacrificed himself for me. That I may know the one who gave his life. Who chose to die. Though death could not defeat him. He surrendered himself to it. That I may know the one who allowed himself to be buried in a stranger's tomb. And to rise from the dead. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship. The communion of his sufferings. That I may somehow join him in his death. That I may attain the resurrection. <laughs> Yesterday Aaron um, said, hey dad, there's, there's a part of the story of Elisha you did not cover in your book. I don't know if you noticed, but it, the last arrow essentially became a study of the life of Elisha. I didn't know it was going to be that. That happened as I was writing the book. Elisha kept showing up. He kept giving me insights. But there was one story that I left out. It's the very last story. It might be the most intriguing story. Elisha died, and you'd think the story would be over, right? That's where it ends in the book. But right after, in 2 Kings 13, verse 21, it says this Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders from Oakland, <laughs> not Las Vegas. Old school raiders. They saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood to his feet. Boom. That's why I didn't use that. How do you explain that? except it is a foreshadowing. They threw a dead man into a tomb, into a grave where Elisha has already passed from death to life. But there was more life in his bones than there were in all those raiders. And when that dead body touched his bones... The life in the bones of Elisha emanated out of their material into the soul of that man. (gasps) And he stood up and was alive. Paul says that I may join Jesus in his death. Because let me tell you, if the bones of Elisha could bring a man back to life, imagine what will happen to you when you decide to join Jesus in his death. Because when you step into Jesus' death, you will be brought back to life. Because when you save nothing for the next life, your flesh and your bones may return to dust, but the power of your life will remain, for death has no power over you when you're alive everything you touch comes to life I wonder right now when you touch something someone are you spreading death are you spreading life are you just existing just making it through the day what are you waiting for You do not get a do-over. You get this one life, and it's over. Last night, uh, I was watching Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And uh, at the very end of the show, Sam Smith began to sing a song called Pray. I just want to read a few of the lyrics. He says, I'm young and I'm foolish. I've made bad decisions. I block out the news, turn my back on religion. Don't have no degrees. I'm somewhat naive. I've made it this far on my own. But lately, that ain't been getting me higher. I lift up my head and the world is on fire. There's dread in my heart and fear in my bones. And I just don't know what to say. Maybe I'll pray. 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 Maybe I'll pray. I've never believed, and you know, but I'm going to pray. You won't find me in church, no. Reading the Bible, no. I'm still here, and I'm still your disciple. I'm down on my knees. I'm begging you, please. I'm broken, alone, and afraid. I'm not a saint, I'm more a sinner. I don't want to lose, but I fear for the winners. When I try to explain, the words run away. That's why I am stood here today. Today. And I'm going to pray, pray Maybe I'll pray Pray for a glimmer of hope Maybe I'll pray, pray Maybe I'll pray I've never believed And you know that I'm gonna Won't you call me? Can we have a one-on-one, please? Let's talk about freedom Everyone prays in the end Everyone prays in the end Won't you call me? Can we have a one-on-one, please? Let's talk about freedom. Everyone prays in the end. Everyone prays in the end. Oh, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Pray for a glimmer of hope. Maybe I'll pray. Pray. Maybe I'll pray. I've never believed, and you know... And I'm going to pray. And as I listened to these words, I found myself overwhelmed and I began to weep. Because some days I just feel sorry for myself. You ever get there? Some days you just step back and go, Am I making a difference? Does this really matter? And then I hear someone open up their soul and call it a song and cry out to God and say, I don't even believe in you. But I don't know what to do. And in that moment, I feel this overwhelming desperation to save nothing for the next life, to live this life as if people mattered. As if they are God's highest value, As if there's nothing God loves more than that person who doesn't even know God exists, and I want you to know it doesn't matter what your occupation is, I know your calling. See, we're here to manifest the love of Jesus to the world, we are here. Because there are men and women everywhere going, God, are you out there? But I'm going to hold on to this glimmer of hope. I want you to know that's what you are. You're a glimmer of hope. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received. Allow it to go deeply into your soul. To allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.